Hello and welcome to Unbossed. I am your host, Nina Turner. And in the co-host chair, we have Max Burns in the house, a Rebel HQ contributor and regular co-host here on Unbossed. He's just so smooth. He really he he balances, you know, we just we balance each other's energy out. How you doing, Max? Hey, thanks so much for having me back. I'm really excited to be here. I think uh a little bird told me Mike Pence may be sticking his head out from under the sand. So I, I can't wait to talk about that mess. Yes, indeed. And you are just the perfect person to talk to me with our audience about this. And your little birdie was right. So the 2024 GOP field is already crowded. Now two big names in former Vice President Mike Pence, as the little birdie told Max, and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie have thrown their hats into this race. This headline from CNN, 2024 GOP field widens as Pence and Christie join race. The 2024 Republican primary is beginning to take shape as former Vice President Mike Pence and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie enter the race. CNN's Jeff Zeleny reports. Now another person also throwing their name into the race on Wednesday is North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum. According to reporting from the New York Times, Christie and Pence joined a long list of candidates trying to secure the Republican nomination. Now here is an updated list from yesterday from the New York Times. We all want you to see all of these faces of the folks who are in the race already. And then there are others who are considering a run. And we see that Torres has not officially entered in yet, but we got that. And there may be a few others who are just thinking about this thing. Oh, wait, this is starting to feel like 2016 all over again. Now, Christie has labeled himself as the best candidate to beat Trump, citing his lack of fear of going after the former president. You know, they got that kind of New Jersey, New York thing going on. Get your popcorn out and get ready. Now here's one such example of what Chris Christie is talking about right here. Donald Trump is a TV star, nothing more, nothing less, a TV star. And let me suggest to you that if we put him back in the White House, the reruns will be worse than the original show was. The reruns will be worse than the original show. Now he might be right about that. Now one person that's not filling Christie's run is Fox dude Sean Hannity. Watch this. Looking at Chris Christie, he left office as governor of New Jersey, 13% approval rating, 14% in another poll. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, you're only getting in this race because you hate Donald Trump and want to bludgeon Donald Trump. He views it as his role to be the enforcer and to attack Trump. You know what? That's not a very inspiring agenda. And I don't even know if I'm interested in facilitating or listening to you know, him babble on when he left office with nobody in New Jersey even liking him. Now, not many of the Republican candidates have an inspiring reason to run 
actually. I don't know, maybe Sean Hannity is on to something. Far cry for me to agree with Sean Hannity on one thing. Let me just say all, none of them right now have anything inspiring to run on. But Pence meanwhile has tried to distance himself from Trump ever since January 6th. You think that he would because when it was found out that some of President Trump's supporters were willing to lynch the former vice president. President Donald J. Trump did not come to his former vice president's rescue. But remember this interview with ABC News in November of last year? 2.24 PM, the president tweets Mike Pence didn't have the courage to do what should have been done. It angered me, but I turned to my daughter who was standing nearby. And I said, it doesn't take courage to break the law, it takes courage to uphold the law. I mean, the president's words were reckless. It was clear he decided to be part of the problem. We had our differences. And I told him that seeing those people ransacking the Capitol infuriated me. There is the former vice president saying basically that the president's words were reckless and that he told him so. So Max, I don't see the requisite emotion, especially when somebody was not willing to call the mob off on you. I mean, I would still be mad as hell even to this day. Every time I thought about being betrayed by the president, I would be mad. But there is Pence, cool as a cucumber. Mike Pence may be the only person who almost falls asleep telling the story of how he was almost killed. I mean, he can't even sum up the excitement about his own campaign. And now we see with Christie, with Mike Pence with Nikki Haley, Uh, Americans are about to see how many ways Republicans can divide up 1% of the vote. Because none of these people has a remote chance of beating Donald Trump. None of these people are gonna be able to raise enough money to get past Iowa. The only one who gets a pass is Chris Christie because he single-handedly broke the back of Marco Rubio's presidential campaign in 2016. And I thought that was funny, so I wanna see that happen again. Yeah, Max, you are on to something. None of them can compete with Donald J. Trump. And because that Chris Christie has that, it's that New Jersey flair. See, he's the only one that can match energy, energy to energy with Donald J. Trump. So this is going to be very, very interesting. I mean, you are really on to something right there, right there. But it's going to be a challenge for Pence and Christie, as Max laid out. A lot of these Republicans, they just in there running because Donald J. Trump, the former president, is the juggernaut as of now. We know that polls are simply snapshots in time, but that snapshot is very bright for President Donald J. Trump. And Trump knows it. Check out this recent town hall with Sean Hannity. I don't know why people are doing it. They're at 1%, some are at zero. I hear Chris Christie's coming in. He he's at <laughs> he was at he was at six percent in New Jersey, which is I love New Jersey. But 6% approval rating in New Jersey, what's the purpose? And he's, he's polling at zero. And uh, others are, uh, I call him Ada Hutchinson. I don't call him Asa, I call him Ada Hutchinson. I gave him a little name for some reason, for certain reasons. But this guy, nobody knows who the hell he is. It is what it is. You know, I, I really go after the one who's second. And I think the one who's second is going down so much and so rapidly that I don't think he's going to be second that much longer. I think he's going to be third or fourth. Y'all put Max up, Max, I just can't help it. 
I mean, this is I entertainment, mean, baby. Go ahead. <laughs> it's good to know that a lunatic is in control of one of the two parties in America. But you, you got to give him credit. He's not wrong. I mean, yeah. people like him because he calls out that the fact these Republicans are clowns. And he's the clown who has the most people behind him. So he gets to set the rules. But I mean, what a joke. What a joke. Indeed, Max. I'm telling you, he he is. He is telling the truth. And remember, even on that debate stage in 2016, he just made it clear he was doing things differently. And I think that same fervor that put him in the White House, many things put him in the White House in 2016. But one aspect of it, and I would love your thoughts on it, is the fact that the American people by and large are tired of phoniness. Like they'll rather take, even though Trump is a faux populist, make no mistake. I mean, if he used all that bluster and bravado to really do some good, he would be onto something. But but he's a faux populist, but even in his faux populism, he tells some truth. I mean, he talked about draining the swamp, but he didn't tell people he was the leader of the swamp, but he said he was gonna drain the swamp. He talked about bad trade deals. He was right about those trade deals. Now he didn't do, you know, particularly anything to lift and change the material conditions of everyday people. But as my grandmother used to say, and I'm sure other people's grandmothers have said as well, even a broke clock is right twice a day. I do firmly believe that that faux populism that put him over the top, among other things, in 2016 could in fact do the same thing, unfortunately, in 2024. And on the Republican side, we don't have many good choices. And the point that he made about the person who is in second, who quite frankly might not be there any, you know, for long, as Trump laid out, is even worse than Donald J. Trump, and that is Governor DeSantis. Yeah. It tells you a lot about where the Republican Party is that now the top two, maybe even the top three by next month, Republican presidential candidates will be facing potential federal criminal investigations. I mean, it's tough to find someone who doesn't have a rap sheet on the right anymore. And to, to Trump's point, like a good sociopath, he knows how to say the words to provoke the response he wants from people. He doesn't know how to solve those problems or even care how to do it, but he knows what people wanna hear. And what we need is to actually put forward leaders who can say it and also do it. That's it, Max, like a good sociopath. I'm, t- path. I'm telling y'all, Max be laying that out just so smooth. And here's an update from a morning consult poll so that we see where everybody is positioned. Donald J. Trump is that is that dark red right there. Ain't no need of talking about nobody else because the man is leading the pack by leaps and by bounds. And we see that clustering there at the bottom. So Donald J. Trump is absolutely right. For now, he is dominating that. Now on the poll also, let's keep that poll up. You may notice that Liz Cheney's Christie's gnome and Greg Abbott's names but they aren't officially in the race. So you see them in the polling, oftentimes pollsters will put other people's names in who may be likely to run. They haven't declared, but certainly their name is in the poll. And at the end of the day, Trump will, and you can put Max up too. At the end of the day, Trump will most likely win the nomination bearing a miraculous DeSantis comeback or something legal, some legal challenge that takes Trump out. I mean, I'm sure that's Max, I'm sure deep down inside, those other candidates are not saying that, but they are hoping for such a miracle. Yeah, and I mean, we both run campaigns. You know that you have these conversations honestly with your team. And these are people who see that the numbers don't lie. The more people see Ron DeSantis, the less they like him. 
and their voters are going back to Donald Trump once they get to know him. And if that's the case, this is over. There's no way you could knock every candidate out of this field now and Donald Trump would still win by 20 points. Yeah, that is so true. And none of those candidates should be anywhere near the White House, even the ones who sound more reasonable, like Governor Nikki Haley, who had her town hall on CNN. I think Jake did a very good job of trying to pull out, you know, out of her and, and, and to challenge her in ways that sometimes in these town halls people are not challenged. But even the ones that sound reasonable should be nowhere near the White House at all. And as the saying goes, the devil you know may be better than the devil that you don't know. And Republican voters certainly know Donald J. Trump. It's going to be interesting indeed. We're gonna keep you posted on this, this roller coaster ride, baby. Go ahead and strap it on in and get the popcorn ready, cuz 2024 or is it 2020 or 2016? Here we come. Speaking of another presidential candidate, we got Senator Tim Scott. He was on The View, take a look. You have indicated that you don't believe in systemic racism. What is your definition of systemic racism? Let me ask, answer the uh, question that you've answered. Does it ex- or does it even exist yeah. in your mind? Let me, let me uh, answer the question this way. One of the things I think about, and one of the reasons why I'm on the show is because of the comments that were made, frankly, on this show, that the only way for a young African-American kid to be successful in this country is to be the exception and not the rule. That is a dangerous, offensive, disgusting message to send to our young people today, that the only way to succeed is by being the exception. The fact of the matter is we've had an African-American president, African-American vice president. We've had two African-Americans to be secretaries of the state. In my home city, the police chief is an African-American who's now running for mayor. The head of the highway patrol for South Carolina is an African-American. Still exceptions. Now that was Senator Tim Scott on The View, and he was in discussion with one of The View hosts, co-host Sonny Hostin, claiming that his experience as senator disproved that systemic racism exists. Now before Senator Scott went into that, Sonny reminded him of the systemic racism that still persists. So when it comes to racial inequality, it persists in, in five core aspects of life in the US. Economics, education, healthcare, criminal justice, and housing. At nearly every turn, these achievements were fought, threatened, and erased, most often by white violence. There it is, Sunny, it hit the nail. She hit several nails on the head, and that is what people tend to forget. And as the senator started ticking off list of names. You know, saying that we had a first black president and we have a first black woman vice president, talking about secretaries of states and chiefs and all of that, ticking off a list does not mean that the system itself is fixed. Systemically, black folks are not where they ought to be in this country, and that is why it's called a systemic failure. It is not enough to just tick off a list of individuals. But in the minds of people like Senator Tim Scott and others who think like him, whether they look like black folks or not, because they don't understand the impact, the generational impact of systemic bigotry, systemic racism, systemic anti-blackness, they think they can tick off list, and that means that black America is doing okay. I will remind you of what I said before, I will say it again. I will say it every single time it is necessary. Hopefully people will understand this, that black faces in high places does not make up for the systemic 
failures, the systemic pressure cooker that black people as a whole find themselves in in this country generation after generation is not a hard concept to understand if you would just free your mind and not listen to some of these talking heads who don't understand what systemic anti-blackness really is and how it has an impact. And we have a few examples of what Sonny, so kudos for Sonny for laying that out. We have a few examples of really what Sonny was referring to. We're gonna put those examples up to share those with you. Now the real medium household income in 2020, you see the gap between white and, and we're talking about medium household income between blacks and whites. Let's go to overall rates of poverty between whites and blacks. Do you guys see that? You see how big that gap is? Even when you look at the unemployment rate in this country, you can always know whatever it is for for white people, you double that, sometimes almost quadruple that for the black community. Let's go to denial rates for home loan applications by race. Again, we see that black America is in that yellow. 15.3%. Hispanic white, 10.6%. Asian, 7.9%. Non-Hispanic white, 6.3%. So again, at the top of these lists where things are not good, you see black folks dominating in those areas. That is due to systemic anti-black racism. Racism is a general term, but when you talk about anti-blackness, that's really what you have to, to narrow down on. And this one, black people five times more likely to be arrested than whites according to a new analysis. So we're talking about socially, politically, economically, all of the areas that Sonny laid out there. And then this headline right here, in the nearly 232 year history of the US Senate, there have only been 11 Black senators. Max, your thoughts about this conversation? I'm really, again, kudos to Sonny for laying that out and not just letting Senator Tim Scott get away with ticking off a list of a few people who have made it. And that's a beautiful thing that they have. I mean, we want to see that kind of upward mobility and changes. People do need to see themselves reflected in various professions in this country, no doubt about it. But again, just because a few black folks have made it on up does not mean that the system is working for the vast majority. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I mean, honestly, every time I see Tim Scott at something like this, I ask why? Why is he doing this? Because he doesn't seem to be interested in actually debating ideas. And the only thing I can think of is at the end of the day, Tim Scott just has nothing really to say about race or the economy or anything. He's built by Washington consultants to talk about talking points that are inoffensive and don't threaten any groups. And yet he has this vision of himself as kind of this pioneer of a new black conservative consciousness. Except that that requires challenging norms and challenging ideas. And if you answered a question on a test the way Tim Scott did here, you'd get checked off and told to go study more. I mean, it's just a low effort attempt that doesn't advance the conversation about race at all. It just puts us right back in that rut we're in in Washington. It does, and I don't understand why politicians like him, he's not the only one. 
They're really timid about really telling the truth about race in this country. How far, certainly we could talk about how far we've come. We also need to talk about how far we need to go. And part of being able to have an honest conversation about the present and also what the future could look like is really talking about the past and the connections, the threads that are still there impacting the present. And if we don't change course, will in fact impact the future. So you're right about that, Max. And I just, I mean, he's from a southern state. He understands this. I'm sure his parents have endured some of this. His parents' parents certainly have. I mean, he, South Carolina, for God's sakes, he he knows this history, but why he's too afraid to actually tell the truth, I don't understand. So yeah. the view, a lot, you know, was happening on the view, and and one of the things that Senator Scott was trying to address were some comments that were made on the show by Joy Behar, who was not at around that table with Sonny on that particular day when that interview was happening. But all of this really started with her. This headline highlights it, Joy Behar blasted by Republicans over claim Tim Scott doesn't get racism, sit this one out. And here is Joy in her own words. And he's one of these guys who, you know, he's like Clarence Thomas, black Republican who believes in pulling yourself by your bootstraps, rather than to me, understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities. He doesn't get it, neither does uh, Clarence. Right. And that's why they're Republicans. Yeah. (laughs) You see, the audience laugh there. Sometimes people don't think about these things. It's not that Joy, some of what Joy was saying was right, even though to me, she doesn't get, she doesn't have the right to tell Tim Scott or anybody else to sit this one out. And neoliberals like her, especially white neoliberals like her, think that they have the right to just talk to black people any kind of way, and you don't. And you don't have a right to talk to Tim Scott any kind of way just because he is a Republican. The part that she didn't get right, and let's parse out her words a little bit. Let's go deeper, let's put those put those up, please. He's one of these these guys like Clarence Thomas, black Republican, who believes in pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Rather than understanding the systemic racism that African Americans face in this country and other minorities, he doesn't get it, neither does Clarence. That's why they're Republicans. Now it is clear, and put Max up too, that he doesn't seem to get it, Max. Clarence no. Thomas, Justice Clark. Thomas doesn't seem to get it either, even though he came up in a different era and should get it more than most black people, you know, especially Tim Scott, because he actually endured it through his lifetime. Clarence Thomas also was someone who, who admired Minister Malcolm X. And we know that Minister Malcolm X indicted this country and told the absolute truth about this country and the positioning of black people. Why he has strayed so far from that. God only knows, but here we are today. What I take in exception with what Joy Behar said is that this is why they're Republicans. And you saw and heard, well, you heard rather, the audience, the audience laugh. It's not, you cannot distill down the vestiges of inequities and the weight that African Americans have had to carry generation after generation. You cannot just simply label that, oh, it's because they're Republicans. Because that is not the reason why this is happening. While it is true they are they are Republicans, there are people in the Democratic Party who feel a similar ways. They might not articulate it in, in the same fashion, but they feel similarly as a Tim Scott does. And as a matter of fact, we're gonna show a clip after your comments of the current vice president, 
basically saying the same thing that Tim Scott has said. So for me, it is bigger than them just being Republicans. It is about a mentality. It is about a consciousness that these men and others who think like them, whether they're black, white, Hispanic, or somewhere in between, it is a consciousness level. And these men somehow lack that consciousness level. Clarence Thomas has lost his. I'm not sure if Tim Scott ever had one, but it's not just because they are Republicans. Your thoughts? Yeah, you took the words out of my mouth. I mean, does Tim Scott understand racism? I don't know. He doesn't talk like someone who's interested in sharing anything he's learned to help us. But I have to assume he does. I mean, no one gets to Malcolm X and not unaware of what racism is. But the reality is that the Joy Behar situation is the same thing that happens with a lot of well-meaning white Democrats. Is that you take a seed of a conversation and take it far too far to a lecture. And you're right, I mean, essentially what it is, is saying this is a Republican problem, racism and people like Tim Scott. And so I watching The View can feel good because at least I'm okay. It's not my problem to deal with, let them solve it. And it excuses you from being an active participant in one of the biggest conversations in the country. And it's it's not helpful and it is very condescending in a way that I think locks people out of a conversation we could actually be having. Yeah, Max, that that's that's exactly right. And in some ways, Joy Behar makes it worse. To your point about now, a lot of well-meaning, and I question whether they're well-meaning, but I hear what you're saying. A lot of well-meaning whites can say that's not me, you know, when in fact. Some of the very same thoughts and practices are there with those well-meaning whites. It's just that they don't have a TV show and we don't know necessarily what they're thinking and what they're feeling. Now, this is the same Joy Behar who said that the residents of East Palestine, a majority, majority white working class community, when in fact that train derailed releasing chemicals all over East Palestine, Ohio. She said that they deserved what they got because they voted for Trump. This is that same Joy Behar. So while sometimes she may appear to be enlightened, she absolutely is not enlightened at all. Because even to say something like that, it has a class dynamic too. So I want people to be careful about when they listen to these people, really what they're standing for and really what they're saying. And again, I wonder if Joy Behar would have the same heat for the current vice president who had a very ambiguous response to the question of racism in America when she was asked about the comments made by Senator Tim Scott in 2021. This headline, Kamala Harris agrees with Tim Scott that America not a racist country, but says must speak truth on racism. Now, I know you all might be scratching your head because one of those things don't belong. And that's why I said it's ambiguous because it doesn't make sense what this headline says. But this headline is actually quoting the current vice president. And it cannot be both of these things. And here is the current vice president in her own words. I believe that we need to, well, first of all, no, I don't think America is a racist country, but we also do have to speak truth about the history of racism in our country and its and its existence today. So Max, to me, that it just doesn't make sense. Her statements are in conflict with one another. So whether it's her, and so my, my, my major point by reminding people what she said is to really point out that if Joy Behar, or anybody else really is 
deeply concerned about anti-black racism, deeply concerned about making sure that this country answers for its sins, that there's two really truth and reconciliation and reparations and all the things that will need to happen to really atone for one of the greatest sins that this country before its founding and even after its founding created and relished in and what led this country to be a hegemonic nation. If they're really concerned about it, then Joy Behar would have the same heat, the same critique for Vice President Harris that she would have for a Senator Tim Scott or a Justice Clarence Thomas, if it's real. Now, if it's simply just about personality, which that's what I believe it is for her and so many others. If it's simply about personalities, then she gives people like Vice President Harris a pass. But if it really is about the substance of the thing, then she would critique them all equally, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, whether they're black, white, Hispanic or other. Your final thoughts as we close out this segment. I think Joy Behar also needs to reflect a bit internally and wonder if she's the ideal messenger for this kind of conversation. If anybody is served by turning the lived experience of black Americans into daytime reality television, essentially something that can be dismissed as entertainment. But with Behar, with Tim Scott, with Kamala Harris, it's the same thing. You you make small compromises along the way. And you say, well, I've compromised and it's worked out well so far. I was, I'm a senator, I'm vice president. If I just compromise a little bit more, I'll get everything I want. And in the end, you sell out the people you went to serve. Wow, there it is. Well, in the black church, when the preacher has preached a sermon, we say amen. Wrap your minds all around what you've seen and heard in this first half an hour of Unbossed. And we'll be right back after this. Welcome back to the show. We want to start off by thanking the TYT Moz for keeping the chat clean, safe, and fun. We really appreciate you for doing that. And won't you become a member? If you are not a member of TYT, do that. Become part of the family for real, for real. For $4.99 a month, you can become a member of TYT. And we know that $4.99 a month may not seem like a lot, but if many of you join, baby, you help us keep our independent flair. So become a member, even gift a membership to somebody, do that for us. And it's about to get hot, Jink versus Destiny debate. Jink will debate live streamer Destiny live on Tuesday, June the 6th. That's the day, baby, at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Pacific Time. They'll discuss Biden's presidency, money and politics, lobbying, Cal Rittenhouse, and so much more. Tune in on tyt.com slash live or on YouTube. And if you have not subscribed to the progress report, to TYT's progress report, you want to get that baby progressive news and inspiration every weekday morning. Just take that smartphone and put it up to the Q code and you will not regret being informed by the progress report. On to my favorite part of the show. I tell you this every single day because you need to know daily how much I appreciate you. We're gonna start off with Twitch. Samara the truth, you can't lie with the devil and come out unscathed. I know that's right, Samara the truth, you better say that. Poe Cat, so do all Republicans know and or care that their candidates are criminals? 
I'm not so sure, darling. On YouTube, Super Chat, Bud Rowland, Donald would be older than Joe when Joe took office. Oh, Bud Rowland, now I know we're not being ages, are we? But you know, you're right. I mean, the numbers don't lie. Them numbers don't lie either, do they? And Christia, Krista Kangan. Kangan, Krista, Christia Kangan. Christia, I hope I didn't mess that up too badly. Nina is my caffeine. <laughs> When I have to start work at 4 a.m. and don't quit till 8 or 9. Thank you. Love your program. Thank you, Krista. I appreciate you so very much, darling. And our TYT members, a very stable photographer. Didn't a bunch of people quit, quite literally try to hang pence? Should work out great for you, buddy. You got that right, a very stable photographer. And he was so cool, calm and collected, recounting that situation. I don't get it. And Mickey the Silver Hair Dragon. Hey, Mickey, the Dragon Squad is in the house. Nina Turner, running mate for Cornell West 24 presidential election. Mickey, I see you trying to start something. Got to be starting something. That's Michael Jackson. I'm gonna say in my lane. I am not a singer, but I thank you for that, Mickey. <laughs> I appreciate you so much and each and every one of you for your comments and for viewing. We couldn't get to all of the comments, but I do want you to know so much how much so much that we, I, we appreciate you. Now we are going across the waters. Hundreds of thousands of rally, hundreds of thousands rally against Poland's authoritarian right wing government. An estimated 500,000 have taken to the streets in Warsaw. The government had assailed reproductive freedoms, attacked the rights of LGBTQ plus people, and cracked down on critical civil society groups and media outlets. This is happening. You're looking at the footage right now of. I mean, hundreds of thousands of people gathering, basically letting their government know that they can't, that they're not going to take it. They're not going to sit idly by. They're not going to be silent. They're going to let the government know how they feel. Now, described as among the largest political demonstrations in Poland in decades, Sunday's march came amid a growing alarm over the Polish government's ongoing assault on just basic rights. Amnesty International summarized. 2022 report on the country. Access to abortion was further limited. Criminal charges were used to curtail freedom of expression. The authorities continued to erode the independence of the judiciary. Freedom of peace assemblies were assembly was restricted. Violence of LGBTI rights persisted. Further, positive moves were made to accommodate between one and two million refugees from Ukraine. Although official hostility continued towards refugees and migrants who arrived since 2021 via Valeris. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's hopping, it's hopping over there in Poland right now. And we see just the different photographs of what is happening there. You see, I mean, people are just taken to the streets everywhere, all over the place. So, I mean, Max, it's really good to see people rise up in countries where you have authoritarian governments just laying out and making it harder for people to have any type of freedom. I'm really, I hate that they're going through this, but it is really a positive sign to see people taken to the streets. Yeah, it's such an incredible turnout. I mean, and these are people, young people, old people of all walks of life. 
who are marching with the energy of people who know where this dark road of authoritarianism ends. I mean, they've seen the policy failures of far right governments measured in bodies. And they are warning their countrymen and they're warning the world. I think this is an inspiration for groups that feel like like maybe they're fighting on the back foot against the rise of authoritarianism. But Poland knows a thing or two about solidarity. And it's it's just incredible to see them all out. Yeah, it really is. And this, I mean, they, they encourage people worldwide. Now there's a passage of contentious laws last month, passage of contentious laws that were passed last month seem to have mobilized greater support for Tusk. So there is a a political fight afoot in that country as well it should be. And this is what that was. The law signed by right wing President Dula allows for the creation of a commission to investigate Russian influence in Poland. Critics argue that it would have unconstitutional powers, including the capacity to exclude officials from public life for a decade. They fear it will be used by ruling party to remove Tusk and other opponents from public life. And so when we think about the whole notion of absolute power corrupting absolutely, this is an example of that. Further, it is the culmination of authoritarian authoritarian system developed in Poland over the past eight years. We are now at a crossroads between being an authoritarian and a democratic country. Yeah, and that's coming from a statement from lawyer and rights activists in um, in that country. Yeah, that, that's a serious crossroads. So again, Max, good to see the people out there. I hate that they have to be out there fighting this kind of thing. But I hope that the people will prevail. And quite frankly, Max, I hope that they don't get weary in fighting this fight. Or in other words, not to get weary in well doing. Yeah, nor, nor should anyone. I mean, it's no coincidence that the first steps this government took to crack down were taking ballot referendums out of the hands of the people and restricting the right to protest. And those are both things that Republicans here are not just championing, but putting forward as their ideal vision for the country. So there is nothing that stops this here except our own lack of vigilance. And we should learn something from them. Yeah, we should. And Max, I mean, just even in my own state, as you bring up, this is what Republicans are doing in state legislatures, states all across the country. Same thing, there will be an initiative on the ballot to make it harder for the people of the state of Ohio, by way of example, to put a referendum on the ballot. So instead of a simple majority, they want to bump it up to a super majority. And they're doing that, again, to clamp down on the power and the voice of the people and measures like this happening all over the country. So it's not just in Poland, this kind of the spirit, the kind of authoritarian spirit flows all over the world, unfortunately. So we'll keep you all posted on that and kudos to the people of Poland for standing up the way that they have. Coming back here to the United States of America, progressive groups sue Mississippi over unconstitutional anti-protest law. Progressive advocacy groups are suing Mississippi officials over a new state law requiring permission to hold public protests near state government buildings in the capital city of Jackson. Now let me remind you that those very buildings are paid for with taxpayers dollars, but don't let that truth get in the way of this foolishness and mayhem. A lawsuit filed last week 
by an undivided coalition, Mississippi voters, Mississippi Poor People's Campaign, Black Voters Matter, and a trio of activists challenges Senate Bill 2343, which is set to take effect on July the 1st. The legislation requires prior prior approval from Public Safety Commissioner Sean Tindo or Capitol Police Chief Bo Lucky for public demonstrations on the grounds of or near state government buildings, including the Capitol Complex, Governor's Mansion, State Supreme Court, and other edifices. The JXN Undivided Coalition and its members have for years engaged in the deeply American tradition of peacefully gathering on public property to convey to elected official officials what matters most to us. What matters most to us is the right to vote and the right of political self-determination for Jackson residents. We, we, we have spoken and the state has responded with a sweeping prohibition of speech next to properties in Jackson occupied by state officials absent prior authorization. We should not have to risk arrest and imprisonment for exercising our constitutional rights, including freedom of speech and equal protection under the law. Now this is being reported by Common Dreams. Thank you, Brett, for that. And this is a statement by JX in coalition. Now the lawsuit, according to the lawsuit, this year Mississippi made peaceful protests on public sidewalks and streets next to state government buildings in Jackson without written prior permission from one of two state officials. This new law is an unconstitutional prior restraint that does not further a constitutionally sufficient or permissible purpose. So if they can't win, you know, I mean, it seems like to me, Max, they scared of the people having voice, and that is unpatriotic and very much un-American. Yeah, I mean, not to date myself, but I came into advocacy and progressive politics during the Bush administration, during the Iraq War, Afghanistan War. And back then they needed at least the excuse of national security to say you couldn't protest and strip your rights away. Now it seems Republicans have done away with wanting an excuse at all. They're just gonna do it because it hurts them politically. And that's really the core of the Republican strategy here is they admit the GOP can't win in a fair exchange of ideas. So what you do is you make it first difficult and then illegal to actually bring those ideas up at all. And suddenly you find the situation has resolved itself. I mean, if you declare every drag show a protest and then you outlaw protest, you've effectively outlawed drag without doing it. And it's the same plan here, just for a different purpose. And this will roll out all over the country. Yeah, it really will. I mean, they're shrewd at what they're doing. They're, they have mastered this technique. And that is another reason why, and I'm so glad David Pepper from the great state of Ohio, him and I served the Ohio Democratic Party together. But he is really focused so much, Max, as you know, on reclaiming legislatures. And really, every single day almost you can see some lesson that he is teaching on Twitter with his whiteboard <clears throat> about how and why we are losing core democracy in this country at the hands of extreme extremist GOP. We got to call them what they are too, they are extremists too. And it's always curious that the very party that claims that the freedoms are being eroded are in fact eroding other people's freedom and using the power of the people, I say in, in some of the most vicious ways to prevent people from standing up for what they believe in. We'll definitely keep you posted for all of this. Now, you know what? 
Man, Max and I have something good to talk to you about. But first, we're gonna dip into New York City first. And then we're gonna come back with something that is really good that's happening that maybe states like New York, cities like New York City and other places can utilize to help bring true community police and in service of the community and police working together to strengthen our communities. So now in New York, too many people in New York are stopped, searched and frisked illegally. Monitor Mylan Durenstein said the NYPD's neighborhood safety team special unit deployed in the past 14 months to seize guns in high crime areas were engaging in quote unconstitutional policing by stopping and frisking too many people without jurisdiction. Now we talk, you know, Republicans always talk about we're a nation of laws. But when laws are being broken like this, they have nothing really to say. But let's just go back to what the monitor had to say about this. In one police precinct, only 41% of stops, 32% of frisk, and 26% of searches were lawful. The neighborhood safety teams, a replacement for anti-crime units that the NYPD disbanded in 2021, operate in 34 areas that account for 80% of the city's Violent crime, largely communities of color. Of the people the teams have stopped, Durskin said 97% are black or Hispanic. Now, this reporting is coming from the Associated Press. They go on. Durenstein said she began her review after Adams announced in March of 2022 that the NYPD was deploying neighborhood safety teams in some precincts to combat gun violence. Team members wearing modified uniforms and driving unmarked cars conducted stops, frisks, and searches in their assigned neighborhoods. Now, despite training and experience, officers assigned to neighborhood safety teams overall appear to be stopping, frisking, and searching individuals at an unsatisfactory level of compliance. Too many people are stopped, frisked, and searched unlawfully. We all should be concerned about that. A spokesperson for Mayor Eric Adams says city officials have serious concerns with the methodology that the monitor used and that they only learned of her findings after news outlets reported on them. Now, I, I, I'm curious to know, Max, why they didn't kind of know that ahead of time, especially if you are trying to alleviate pressures and do a new type of policing, reimagine policing. And we need to do that all over America. But to me, it's quite telling that they weren't even aware of the monitor's findings and really did not take a attack, at least in, in what we in what we know the comments were about her findings. They didn't take a let's try to work this out, let's try to figure this out kind of attack. They were really seem offended. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing what you don't find when you don't look. And that's really what the city's been doing for decades. I mean, the NYPD is an $11 billion behemoth in this city. It is clearly out of the control of anyone to regulate. The mayor is already struggling now, not only with budgets, but also with accountability and enforcement of rules. It's it's essentially a body that chooses how it is governed. And that acceptance of that as the status quo is what holds our city back. Unfortunately, you know, police unions have a lot of money and they've been very effective at keeping progressives out who want to want to say not no police at all, but maybe restore the balance a bit more to something that actually involves communities in community policing. That's exactly right. And it, it helps law enforcement too. It just makes 
it, it creates a stasis. It makes it safer for law enforcement officials. It makes it safer for the community. When the community feels in partnership with its police departments, it's better for everyone. And why wouldn't you want to do it that way? But speaking of that way, we do. Max and I have something that might we might want to have this all over the country. It's called neighborhood self-policing. Could that be a solution? Maybe it can. What happened when a Brooklyn neighborhood policed itself for five days? So glad that you asked that question. On a two block stretch of Brownsville in April, the police stepped aside and let residents respond to 911 calls. It was a bold, and I mean bold experiment that some believe could redefine law enforcement in 21st century America, period, but really in New York. But hopefully this is a model that can be duplicated all over the country. Gotta study it a little more, do some more work, some more tweaks, but I really believe that they're onto something. I hope you believe that too. Several times a year, workers from Brownsville, uh, Brownsville in violent out call stand sentry on two blocks for five days. The police channel all 911 calls from that area to the civilians. Unless there is a major incident or incident or a victim demands an arrest, officers always in plain clothes shadow the workers. Can you believe this? I mean, I'm smiling from ear to ear on this. The civilians have no arrest powers, but they have persuaded people to turn in illegal guns, prevented shoplifting, kept a man from robbing a bodega, and stopped a pregnant woman from hitting a boyfriend who had not bought a car seat and a stroller as he had promised. Now they are part of the Brownsville Safety Alliance, a group of neighborhood and city groups, police officers, and members of Kings County District Attorney's Office that is trying to ensure that fewer people are arrested and entangled in the criminal justice system. So you see both law enforcement and the community or the community and law enforcement working together hand in hand and what that outcome can be. Now responses in the community, residents have embraced the concept. They say we feel more safe, we can walk without feeling anxiety, he said. While they throw that we do need police, it's possible that we can police ourselves. And that's coming from Nyron Campbell, assistant program manager at Brownsville in Brownsville in, excuse me, violence out. And in Brownsville, the effort not only gives residents more say over what public safety looks like, but also can deter crime if people know that there are more eyes watching. So Max, I mean, this is fabulous. And hopefully this can be scaled up. No, it has to be you know, tweaked even more to make sure that the civilians are safe. But the fact that police are in playing clothes and working side by side with these community members definitely gives me great hope. Yeah, I mean, it's often said people from outside New York think that it's a place where no one knows anybody, but it's actually a place of incredibly strong neighborhoods and communities. And when you have community elders on the corners, people care. It does create a sense that you have your community back. And what's so inspiring about this is it's not some crazy new idea. This is just rolling back to a balance of community policing that used to be fairly commonplace. And people reported having much better relationships with police. So I would love to see this expand. I think it's a great, if it can make it in New York, it can make it anywhere.
Isn't that the truth? And you know, Max, it's reminding me when I was a Cleveland City Council member in my community, there were a group of elders. It was called the CB Patrol. And it was mainly elders because they had the time, but they would go out on a regular basis and patrol the community. There were community police, I mean, real community policing. There were community police stations in most community wards in the city of Cleveland. So you don't have to go to some faraway precinct, it's right there in the community and they worked in conjunction with the community police satellite office and would patrol, knock on doors, say hi to neighbors, ask people how they're doing. And it really was a big deterrent, people felt more engaged, they felt more listened to and surprise, surprise, it gave the community the ability to build relationship with law enforcement officers that were in the community on a regular basis. So you are absolutely right. Hearing you talk about that reminded me that no, this is not new. This is just something that has been pulled out. The funding has been cut from it. And we need to make more investments and convince or encourage more communities to do the same. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that is it's our much time. cheaper. Yes, in the long run, definitely much cheaper and much healthier too. So yeah, kudos to Brooklyn, kudos big ups to my city of Cleveland who used to do that as well. And hopefully we can get that back all over the country. Well, that is our time today. Max and I have just had a ball talking about these segments. And we hope that you have learned something and that you feel inspired. Thank you so much for your support of Unbossed and the TYT Network. Now you know, you absolutely know what I want you to do around this time. I always, always want you to keep the faith without a doubt. But with that faith, baby. I need you to marry a whole lot of fight until next time. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating.